This week's episode is brought to you by the Film Rescue Show. The Film Rescue Show is a long-form podcast in which their crew and a guest fix a film every week. Want a good first episode? Check out episode 89 with Axel and myself, where he pitched fixes for the League of Extraordinary Drummond. Still waiting on that call, Warner Brothers. For fans of filmmaking, writing, and behind-the-scenes content, check out the Film Rescue Show on all your favorite podcasting sites today. Hello and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Axel Wright, and with me as always is... Lord Commander Ulrich. How are you today, Lord Commander Ulrich? Uh, pretty good. Gambled on a new drink recipe and came out stronger than I anticipated, so I'm taking the win. Ulrich's a big fan of old fashions, which is funny because I think they taste like dirt, but power to him. When you come out and visit, I'm going to make you an incredible one. You'll be like, oh, what the hell have I been drinking? Well, I will try to make that happen in the next within the next couple months or so, so fingers crossed. Anyway, before we get into our actual topic, because we can cut right past all the intro stuff, I have the privilege of labeling, not labeling, listing, honoring our... There you go. <laughs> our illustrious legion, our patrons, people who give us coin every month to do what we do, and the least we can do is say their names. The list in front of me is Pam Galley, Marquis, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, Arthur Crane, Kevin Vay, Brand Agnew, John Vinnels, Kit Kenny, Seth Decker, Donald Lucy, Patrick Anderson, Carson Amell, Scott Rubin, Derek Ducate, and Peter Cook. If you'd like to join the illustrious legion, have your name added to that list and be said by me or Ulrich on any on any episode, then head on over to our Patreon, Patreon slash Geeks with Shields, Dollar a month, 25 cents an episode, or less, because sometimes we put out more stuff. It's very rarely we put out less stuff. You know, sometimes we go on breaks, but not all that often. But anyway, that's all it takes. It goes a long way towards helping us. Topic! <laughs> I feel ra- frazzled for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe it's because we're in the second recording of the night. Sometimes we record double. So, But we're, ta- we're here to talk about villains. Yep. Why? Or- why we love these characters that do bad things that we should feel bad about but most of the time you ask anyone their favorite character from a popular franchise they're going to tell you it's the villain now we did an episode recently that i should probably be up before this one is but in case it's not where we talked with wretched about mm, problem with modern villains that was mostly a negative complainy one this is going to be more about positive things looking at like okay we think villains are important what are the reasons what's important about them why are these characters compared compelling and there are tons of people online who've put out better essays than we have but you're here with us for some reason thank you so here we're gonna talk about it (laughs) this isn't an essay this is just us talking about why do we brute for the bad guy and i would argue nine times out of ten they're charismatic as fuck well i'd also say that i don't have to root for the bad guy to be into the bad guy because my that is true my favorite villain is handsome jack a villain that i spent the entire media he's in the game borderlands 2 actively really wanting to murder him so i was definitely not rooting for him i still love him though yep no the one that kind of immediately springs to mind for me that i see is people that love the empire from star wars and they go but they're fascists yeah we know that i don't want to play fascist i don't like fascists but the empire looks cool and is kind of fun and it's the cognitive disconnect we're definitely going to put a pin in that for when we talk about Warhammer here in a little bit. So. Yeah, but I'm saying there's a cognitive disconnect that people kind of trip over. It's like, just because you like this person that does all of these horrible, disciplinary things, doesn't mean you endorse those same acts. Well, Ulrich and I have both, 
don't know why I'm saying that, like I'm talking to them, I'm talking to you, but you and I have both said literally in previous episodes that a great example of that is me and you are huge fans of Watchmen, the comic, yep. the show, and the movie, like all of it. And I love Rorschach. He's not my favorite character anymore, but I still love him. You love the comedian. You've said he's your favorite villain. We both are like, are they good people? No, they're fucking terrible people. I do not want to be Rorschach. I don't want to be like him at all. I still really like him as a character despite not wanting to be anything like him <laughs> because they're fascinating to study and go why are you like this what does this represent what does this say about me what does this say about others yeah engagement can come on many levels and i think one of those levels is simply like okay this is interesting i want to know more about where this character is going or this thing is going like just because that's the case doesn't mean i want to be a part of it Again, I, I mentioned Warhammer, and there's a classic joke that Warhammer is the the setting that every one of its people who likes it does not want to be in it. <laughs> and the people that do are the ones you need to watch. Exactly. And by watch, I mean watch fall into a ditch. You know what? I, I feel like I'm not going to be able to move forward without at least touching on Warhammer proper here. Uh, so you mentioned in, in the, the Empire from Star Wars. Yep. Same deal in 40k and that the imperium the imperium of man which is the for lack of a better term the protagonists of the setting but not the hero because there's not really heroes in the same sense learn what protagonist means nerds yeah exactly the protagonists of the setting they are still very evil it's that's on purpose the imperium is supposed to be like a stagnant fascist horrible hellscape that you don't want to be in but they got the cool toys. Yeah, apparently. No, this is like, I see people losing their shit every time the 501st does a charity event. Like, why are people dressing up as space Nazis? Don't they know they're space Nazis? Yes. But guess what? They look cool, and you don't have to be a fucking Nazi to want to play it wear the cool armor. Also, it's simple as that. You're not actively endorsing the ideas. Yeah, also the 501st is a completely fictional thing. Like, completely yeah. fictional. Made and, up. Doesn't exist. Has yeah. no real-world baggage. And their iconography isn't close enough to actual fascist iconography to be a problem in that regard. Because that is something, I will admit, like, I, I love cosplay, but if you're going to cosplay, like, a commissar, you got to be careful about some of those Imperium symbols and where you're oh, going. Oh, there's that... But I'm way more concerned with the Wolfenstein cosplay than I am Star Wars. I agree. That's what I'm saying. Same thing. We're like the historical reenactors. I love history. I love historical reenactment. I have questions for the people that can detailed recreations of SS uniforms because my mind goes, why did you pick them? Although I will say SS uniforms are interesting. There's a concept. It's a, a super basic concept. Villains tend to look cool. They tend to have yes. good aesthetics. And yes, I don't know why that's the case. It's hard really to pin down why, but I think it's because that's the one the artist wants to work on because they get the best lines, they get the best songs, they get the best bits. And I, I want to be very clear here. Uh, I think all Nazi bullshit should be absolutely destroyed except for remembrance of what they did so that doesn't happen yes. again. But actual Nazi stuff, fucking burn it. That yes. being said, if you could, impossibly, but if you could separate Nazi dumb from their uniforms, they have nice, cool-looking uniforms. I would. Okay, so here's the thing most people miss. The Nazis hired fashion designers to design their uniforms because they knew looking fancy as fuck would convince people. Exactly. And to quote Movie Bob, fascism is the political ideology of little boys. Absolutely. Meaning it appeals to your lizard brain. Yes. 
That's that's what that's. It's hard to say it without. But yes, that's what I'm saying. It's like yes, their outfits look cool. I do not want one. I would burn one if it was in my presence. But I can still say, like, aesthetically, but, that's a cool design. The yeah, villains look good. <laughs> because it appeals to your lizard brain. It's like, whatever the villain is, like, ooh, you're spiky, where my hero is rounded. You're darker, where my hero is brighter. You get a cool song if you're in a Disney movie, where my hero just gets a I want more song. Yeah, true. Villains get... Also, I, I, I thought this when you first mentioned the topic to me. And I think this is a lot more subconscious, but I do think it's very important. Villains in general, are proactive, and heroes are reactive. Now, there are exceptions, because there's an exception to every generalization. But for the most part, when you have a story that has villains and heroes, the villain is the one trying to create change of some kind. Now, that could be for purely selfish reasons, or it could be for high-minded reasons, whatever. It doesn't matter. They are creating some change in the status quo, and the hero is in general, trying to react to that villain's proactiveness to reassert said status quo. Yep. Now, there's a whole psychological bag of cats about what that means about culture and society and whether or not that's a good thing or not. I'm not here to talk about that. I'm just saying that that creates a thing, I think, in a lot of people's subconscious where it's like, that guy's getting shit done. Even if I don't agree uh-huh. with what he's doing, he's at least taking control of his life, and I don't feel like I have control of my life, so I look up to that. Well, let's talk about the big one in the Thanos effect, where everyone went like, listen, I don't like your idea, but if I could snap my finger and every bigot and hateful person disappeared off the face of the earth, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Yeah, also, think about how Thanos is oriented in the story of Infinity War. Thanos is going on a journey to enact a change that he sees as being beneficial to all life in the universe, and all the heroes are reacting to stop him from doing that. Now, the fact that the change he's trying to actually do is genocide, is why he's a a villain. That's bad. (laughs) Yeah, that's bad. But But the thing is that you can still psychologically get really into the whole, like, that is a that is a character that is taking control of his destiny. He is, no one can stop him. He is enforcing his will upon reality. And that's like, we, I think at some degree, we all want to do that. Even the most shy people to some degree want to have control over their life. At least. No, uh, Seth, if you're listening, I, my pitch for film rescue for, uh, Avengers infinity war was, I, I couldn't come up with after this, Thanos snaps all the bigots and terrible people away, and it's Cap and Tony fighting about, okay, well, we should rescue these people, but should we? That sounds like a that, really good that sounds like a really good uh Elseworld comic. Yes, that's what I want. Like someone needs to write that or that's not if. me. Because at the center of it, that's what the Thanos thing is. Like, he's he's trying to fix this. He's like, this is bad and this is happening. What are we doing? And the heroes go, No, things are good the way they are. And you're like, well, that's not true. And Thanos is like, and I'm going to massacre people. That's also not true. But, hmm, I'd rather do something than nothing. So but a lot of, maybe a little bit of space genocide, just a little bit. Yeah, but a lot of the great villains fall into this kind of cat. Like one of my favorite, you mentioned Disney villains. One of my favorite Disney villains is Scar. Now, yep. Scar is literally a character who is trapped in a monarchy that he is not the top of. It's implied heavily that his actual scar came from, if not Mufasa himself, someone in their family. And 
in from his perspective, he is far more intelligent and deserving than Mufasa. Now, the fact that we find out later he's a shitty ruler is not the point. The point is, he sees this as an injustice, and he takes active steps to cause change in his setting. Simba, then, as a hero, is completely reactive to everything that Scar sets in motion. Yeah, but ironically, people still love Scar, even after all that shit. <laughs> Like, yeah, he, he fucked over the Pride Lands and he made me cry as a child, but well, he has that cool song with the Nazi iconography. Oh, there's, a, there's an elephant in the room that Scar and Ursula particularly are two of the best examples of also, which is there is a pattern, I don't know what the right word for this is, a pattern in Western media that is still true but less true lately of making your villainous characters a feminine oh you're talking about queer coding your villains yeah yeah queer coding your villains and now i don't know if ursula counts as queer coding because she's she's based on divine uh, it it counts in this context because ursula's everything about her behavior and how she acts is that of a drag queen yeah and she's based on a drag queen and yeah but the point is i don't know if it's queer coding anymore as much as it is literal we, we we made our our villain a drag queen. Yeah, but the point I'm the point I'm trying to get to is that this is very common throughout a lot of western fiction to have your your heroes be conventionally masculine like, you know, cowboy kind of western frontier kind of stuff and your villains to be a feminine high, you know, kind of pretentious. Oh, it's 100% thing in Disney movies. Go back and look. So many of their villains are queer coded. Now, what this the the inadvertent side effect of this, at least according to you know, what I've seen on Twitter and whatnot, is that a lot of people who turned out to be, like, LGBTQ and whatnot, but didn't necessarily understand what they were going through at the time, latched onto these characters because these characters were were tapping into something that they were not seeing in other characters. And so then they love these villains because these villains are more accurately representing something they were feeling that the heroes were not representing. And this is true. I mean, that makes a lot of sense for the Disney of it all. Yeah, exactly. Now... Again, there are... I just recently watched all of the Hunger Games movies for the first time, and the level of uh, <laughs> LGBTQ basically is the equivalent of the evil people in Hunger Games is bullshit for so many reasons. Yeah, so, uh, Movie Bob tried to warn this all of that a decade ago, and we shouted at him, and now you go back and you're like, oh, no, no, he was right. Yeah, it so, very much is the bad people are effeminate you know, queer people, and the good people are the hardworking, you know, general normal people. And I'm not saying anything about the writer's intention. I'm just saying that's how that movie can be viewed. Yeah, I, I could easily see someone telling me that that was not the authorial intent. I, no, but... I think the idea is it's supposed to harken back to the French Revolution of the workers versus the rich oh, upper totally. class. But as, as uh, John Green says, and I very much agree with, just because an author doesn't intend an idea or a symbolism to be in their work doesn't mean it's not there. There's also more than one way to interpret any one thing. Exactly. My point of bringing all this up, though, is that I think it's a very important part for why a lot of villains, especially Disney villains, speak so much to the modern generation and even the last generation, which have been a lot more open to these kind of ideas, you know, if they didn't know that's what they were opening themselves up to. And it's weird because those those media were almost trying to make you think that these qualities are evil by yeah. uh, associating them together. And then it had this almost reverse effect where people just started really latching on to the villains. 
So let's talk about the other side of it, our Dr. Dooms, our Magnetos. Well, not Magneto. Magneto is a separate argument. Our Dr. Dooms, our Lex Luthors, our uh, Darth Vaders. Okay, well, hold and on about the that. answer... Because real quick, Dr. Doom, to me anyway, is a pure exception to all conversations. Dr. Doom is in a category of his own entirely, and it's really hard to judge anyone else next to Dr. Doom. <laughs> I agree, but hold on and let me finish my thought. Okay, go ahead. All of the characters that fit into this mold, power fantasies. We love them because they are strong and powerful and they can do whatever the fuck they want. And that, again, drills right down to that lizard brain of, I want to be strong and powerful and do whatever the fuck I want. Yeah, like I, And I, that I... shoves aside any of the unpleasantness about them, like Darth Vader murdering children and being a horrible person. Like, push that aside. I want people to be afraid of me and have a cool red laser sword. Yeah, like I, I'm not claiming that everyone wants to be in charge or anything. I know plenty of people no, like but myself. No, I'm saying who that that but, is. There. But I, yeah, but I think that there is an argument to be made that every sentient being wants to at least be in control of themselves and their lives. Yes. And if they don't feel they are, then they're going to latch onto ideas that relate to that. It's the He-Man principle. Do you know why his catchphrase is, I have the power? Why? Because they test-focused among young boys, and young boys love nothing than nothing more than yelling, I have the power, and feeling like they got to be in charge. Huh, that makes sense. They're like, oh, no, in your kid, everything is, you know, dictated to you. And there's this myth that when you become an adult, my daughter has this one, that when she becomes an adult, suddenly she can do whatever she wants, whatever she wants. <laughs> of course. But I think, no, villains are that 100%. They have no obligations. They get to do whatever they want. They get to be big and bombastic and grand. And then we put up this wall of like, I'm going to ignore all the negative implications of the bad shit because I just want to have this fun power fantasy of shooting lightning from my fingertips. There's also usually a literalization that villains don't get told what to do. And if, yes. they, and if they do get told what to do, they kill whoever is trying to tell them what to do. It's our little kid going, finally, I'm living the adult dream I thought I was going to have. I mean, you mentioned Vader. One of Vader's coolest scenes that was in the very first movie is, hey, that dude who thinks he's in control is telling Vader what to do. So then Vader shows him, you're not in control. I'm in control by force choking him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's not that hard. And again, people get so caught up in what abouting, like, well, they did all these terrible other things off screen. Yeah, but guess what? Not real. Fictional. Totally not. I'm not endorsing this. If this is a real person, my feelings would be way different. But you know what? Bothans don't exist. I don't care how many Vader killed. Yeah, I love, I love capital L, the comic sequence where Vader is surrounded by rebels. And they're like, we have you surrounded. And he's like, I'm surrounded by nothing but fear and dead men, and then proceeds to butcher all those people. If that was a real guy, I'd be like, drone strike him. Yeah, it's like, God, <laughs> this is way more complicated. Fuck, horror movie fans figured this out decades ago with they love Freddy Cougar. Why? Because he's funny and charismatic, and it's fun to root for the villain because at the end, you know, he loses and there's no consequences. You're like, oh, well, yeah. he's dead. He's gone. Okay. They don't, even have to be, they don't even have to be charismatic. Michael Myers literally doesn't speak, but he's still really fun to watch him work. <laughs> Again, it's, it's, it's filling out that power fantasy, which I think that's the real root of why we root for villains. Like, 
we enjoy the power fantasy. Tony Soprano, it's like he, it's even more complex because that well, kind of goes into what we talked about in the previous episode of Villains of Complicated. They do bad things, but they have social things, but... It is funny because heroes are also power fantasies, but they're power fantasies connected to ideas of morality. It comes and with responsibility. responsibilities, and no one wants responsibilities. We're all adults, we have responsibilities. Which is why we can absolutely love heroes, and we do, but there's a special place in our hearts for the villains where it's like, hmm, they don't answer to anybody. They, they don't answer it's, anything. It's why everyone that played Fallout 3 blew up. What's the main city? Megaton? You I don't know what you're Megaton. talking about. I didn't you blew up Megaton. Megaton at least once. <laughs> just to see what it was like. Not me. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't I, don't I do. <laughs> I don't know. I, I do. Okay, me. here's what I'll say. I think that if you're saying you've never, at least once in a Bethesda game, decided, I'm just going to kill a bunch of the guards or something, I, I find that highly unlikely. Like, you've done that at least once. So. If you haven't done at least or started at least one villain, I'd be like, oh, this makes me feel bad. Yeah, like, I have to I, live with the consequences. I will admit, I saw a uh, a thing on Twitter a long time ago that was something like, you know, when I play a game, if I make a decision and then it results in someone getting hurt, I restart because I feel bad. And someone else was like, why? They're not real. And they said, because my fantasy is being a good person that can cause good things to happen in the world. You know what? Perfectly valid. We're just saying that there's another angle to fantasy so yeah no I, th I think we get so caught up in trying to moralize and judge each other and earn whatever weird internet points we have that we forget like most of the time when you're rooting for the villain it's pure power fantasy also and this just comes from a like for like our term i'm a fucking adult i can play a bad guy in a fictional setting and completely separate that from my actual real world morality to the point where it's actually almost like indulgence is not the right word where it's like, okay, I would never do this in reality. So it's fun to play at it in fiction. Yeah, because there's no consequences and I don't have to feel bad, which is why Bethesda games work really well. It's like when you massacre that village of people, you kind of feel bad. I'm like, oh, they had human faces. Whereas when I massacre super mutants, I'm like, no, they're big and dumb and green and I hate them. True. I remember, I forgot what the YouTuber's name is, but there's some YouTuber who talked about like, the in the real world the most confirmed kills from any like soldier is something like 500 from this sniper in like world war ii or something mm -hmm. and then they talked about in my fallout 3 game i have killed over 2,000 bandits <laughs> so. yeah no casually murder and dismember and yet no one ever you know brings that one up it's like well hold on power fantasy we like villains because it fills a power fantasy that we have in ourselves sidebar that's one of the reasons why Undertale is so great, because when you engage with the villain fantasy there, there are direct consequences narratively to being a villain. So, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we've said all we can say on this without bringing on an expert in morals and ethics. Yeah, and again, we are not experts in morals and ethics. I have my own set of morals and ethics, but I'm also an existentialist, so take that as you will. I, but... Point is that there are legitimate reasons to like villains without necessarily wanting to be them or wanting to be like them. Yeah, no. By the way, if you are a expert in morals and ethics and you want to come on and talk about the morals and ethics of villainy, let us know. We'd love to have you on. We would love to have our own sheedy. And if you don't know what I mean, go watch The Good Place. It's amazing. You can watch The Good Place. What are you watching us for? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> go watch that. It's great. <laughs> anyway, thank you all for listening. Be sure to... Like, share, subscribe, do all those things that I have to ask you to do because they impact 
how our podcast grows. I know, it's cringy. I feel bad doing it every time, but it does actually affect us and matter. So I try to be genuine. I try not to just read from a script. I try to be off the cuff. So yeah, share it with your friends. Maybe join our Discord. We like talking with our fr- with our followers in the Discord. They are not just our they're the illustrious legion in our Discord. Look at it this way, folks. It's us or Joe Rogan. Who do you prefer? Uh, I'm not touching that. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're wondering where you can find us, we are everywhere. All the places. If we're not on those places, let us know so we can get on those places. As always, Spotify keeps adding new weird things I have to pay attention to. Because not only now can you rate us, you can leave us direct feedback. Which feels very judgmental in Spotify's format, so please be kind. This has been Axel Wright. And it's your brother, Lord Commander Ulrich. Be sure to tune in next time. And as always, stay honorable.